Hi, I'm Greg Potter, and this is 20-Minute Collaborations. Hey, uh, welcome back to 20-Minute Collaborations. I am sitting here after a glorious happy hour on a Monday. How are you? What's going on with you? Have you been to happy hour? What have you been doing today? Actually, my day started at 4.30 a.m. and I was going constantly all day and working my way to this happy hour. I also had this beautiful moment with my mom and my grandma today. In Madison, we had the last day of the Van Gogh touring exhibit and the three of us went and we just had such a wonderful time together. It was really, oh my gosh, it filled my soul. What has filled your soul lately? Tonight at Happy Hour, we also talked about something that maybe you have been talking about or you've noticed in your collaborations. Really the question came up of how do we deal with a collaboration when communication absolutely sucks? <laughs> and we're not the leader. How do we, from the inside out, from not the leadership standpoint, work on communication and develop the communication skills of the team and find a central line of communication while still doing the work, getting towards the outcomes, making an impact, being efficient, all the other things that we want our leadership to be doing yet we're taking responsibility for it. It was a really interesting conversation, and I hope that piece that I just shared about made you start thinking about some of the moments in your life or some of the things that might be happening right now with you in your collaborations. This week, I had the opportunity to bring on Christina Harrington. What you don't know about this is that Christina is my cousin, and I did not meet my cousin and the rest of my family until I was 20. I had met my dad and my sister, grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, when I was introduced to an entire brood named the Harringtons. My cousin Chris has been doing some really magnificent things in her life, and currently she is the CEO of a company, Gen Alpha, out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I've always admired what she's doing from afar, and as I started doing international work, I took note of, oh, how is my cousin doing this in Brazil, in Canada, in all these places that she's working with such ease and control and also open to the changes of it. And it has inspired me as I've worked. This conversation really gets into fun things in manufacturing that I would never normally think about in the collaboration world unless it's a client that I'm working with. And our conversation dives into some really fun do's and don'ts and where an idea comes from and the conversation is just really enjoyable to me. Here is the conversation with Christina Harrington. Okay, I'm a little, I, I've got a couple things going on right now. I am so excited that I have my cousin. She's the first family member to be on my show. Second, I'm super excited because I have always just like, i believe so much in what this woman is doing in her life and everything she's done and she's since we've known each other she's been a big mentor to me 
And third, I'm just excited to have more time with her. So welcome to 20 Minute Collaborations, Christina Harrington. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy to be here, Greg. Thank you for having me. I'm so thankful for you. I'm just so grateful that you have time. Um, It's funny, I actually, I was visiting my mom recently and she was watching uh, Brothers and Sisters. Did you ever watch that show? Yes. Okay. Uh, Actually, we love that show. We were we were the people though that watched it many years after, so we got to binge watch it. Uh, I can't remember which of the programs uh, you know run that now, but I watched it not during the original tapings of the seasons, but much later. Yes, very familiar. Well, I re- I watched it when it originally went, but then I rewatched it, and and you and I had dinner, a wonderful dinner, a few weeks ago. And then it's come back into my mm-hmm. life and it's at the point where the one sister that they didn't know about is come into their life. And it made me giggle today a little bit because, you know, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't meet my dad or, you know, or any of that family until my late teens and twenties. I met you when I was, you know, 20 already. So it's so exciting that we've mm-hmm. be, got to this point and the fact that you're on the show today. Okay. I've said it a million times, but that's the last time I'm so grateful. So, <laughs> I shared, well, I'm grateful too, just so you know. Thank you. Um, I shared in the intro a little bit about you, but I'd love for you to share with the listeners about yourself. How did you get here? What's going on? Tell us, tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, well, what, what can I share about me? I, I think one of the things I just love to share about me is that I'm a natural learner, just in life, I continue learning. I love to learn. So whether I'm learning from books, uh, and I know that your listeners won't be able to see me right now, but I've got these bookshelves of books behind me as we're recording this through Zoom. Um, I always say that I feel smarter as I have all these wonderful authors and information behind me, but I'm, I'm just kind of a lifelong learner, which means I've always said yes to experiences. And it has been through experiences that I think I've been gifted so many different opportunities in life, which have, you know, taken me to different career positions, but also taken me to uh, have opportunities to live and work outside of the United States and in multiple countries and, you know, just have all of those new and interesting uh, experiences that help you develop personally, but then as you apply things to your career, you you find that over time you're developing professionally as well. So, and that's that I guess that's a little bit about me. I, you know, outside of that, I love spending time with my family. Here, uh, you know, behind me on where I'm sitting today, I have a five and a half acre farm. So in addition to leading a technology company, I also get to get my hands in the dirt. Um, My spouse and I have planted many fruit trees. We have a very large garden in the summertime where we, uh, you know, share our food with the community. Uh, It's called Two Girls in a Farm. So we have lots of fun here and we've got ducks and chickens and, you know, all kinds of entertainment on our five and a half acres, which (laughs) creates a little different kind of work, but it's the fun and rewarding kind of work as well. Every week I invite a guest on, as you know, and I invite them to share a short story about a time where they worked with different people to accomplish a common goal. Chris, would you like to tell your story? 
Yes. And, you know, I debated um, because I've listened to your podcast and think it's just wonderful. And I'm like, which collaboration story should I tell? And, you know, I I thought the best one would just be on us forming Gen Alpha as a company and developing our product, which we call today Equip360, because it truly was, you know, a collaboration. We came together as the original founders um, with a goal to ease the process of doing business with manufacturers. And, um, you know, for those people listening that don't know Gen Alpha, essentially, we have a technology solution that helps with owners of equipment to support um, that equipment to keep it operational throughout its lifetime. Basically, you can go online and identify the piece of equipment that you own. You can identify the parts, the maintenance instructions. You can order those parts all online. So that's what we help manufacturers do. But when we came together as a group, we were a bunch of business leaders who understood the challenges that manufacturers and their customers had in keeping equipment uh, operational and keeping information up to date. But we weren't developers, right? So we didn't know how to leverage technology necessarily to build the solution that we want to build. So we had to really create this cross-functional team to identify and truly understand what problem are we trying to solve. And that's something that we we often say around the Gen Alpha team is, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? So we kind of start there. That's the goal, right? And And then you have to build the scope or the use case of what are people going to do with this solution? How will it work? How will it function? Uh, What will it look like? What will people do? Where, what kind of data is needed? Where will the data come from? How will you integrate that data so it's seamless to the user? So we had to really write all of this information down in a scope way and we, we used our cross-functional team of different business leaders who understood different aspects of manufacturing so we could kind of tie all of this together. And then we had to take that to a team of developers that we trusted. So we had to build trust. I think when you think about collaboration, trust is certainly an element. We had to find the right development team that we could trust to build the solution that we could uh, present to our customers. So through trial and error, we, you know, we did mock-ups. And then once we had our mock-ups ready, we actually designed the solution. Our developers helped us design the solution. And then it came to testing that solution to make sure that it functioned in the way that we originally uh, uh, imagined it would, and that in fact, it would help manufacturing customers achieve the things that they were trying to do online. Um, so it was great. We got to test it, but then we really needed a customer, right? So we had to find a customer for Gen Alpha and our Equip360 solution who would be the ultimate test of our solution, right? So um, we had to uh, start to put our sales hats on and go identify a manufacturer who was ready to use a solution like ours, leverage their systems and their structure inside their manufacturing environment 
integrate it to our software so we could, in fact, help their customers service parts after a machine went to work. Working with a customer becomes the next phase of that collaboration, really, you know, making sure that we've got all of the elements that are needed for that manufacturing customer to do what they need to do online and that we can test it all the way through the system. The entire project of building the the Gen Alpha company from the beginning was a collaboration of ideas, uh, problem solving, and then coming to a solution. And as I think about it, I feel like we're still collaborating today because we're an agile development company. So we formed our company 12 years ago. And as an agile development company, there are so many commonalities between uh, collaboration and agile development because, you, you know, you identify a goal, you have a team, you have to have an iterative process, you have to have good communication and trust like we talked about. And then and there is this element of continuous improvement. So we're continually getting feedback from our customers as we've grown our customer base They're giving us new ideas. We research new ideas that are happening in the market. We put those into our backlog and then we add them to our solution. So really that that's a collaboration (laughs) story that I could think of the best that I know very well. (laughs) Well, I love it. I feel like your story is actually, it's a perfect case study for like the case studies that I use in when I'm teaching the life cycle of collaboration. So it's, Perfect. It's got the beginning of the concept of the idea and it goes all the way to like, where's the finished package and how are we going to evaluate whether we did a good job or not? (laughs) And I'm giggling because I said, sometimes it goes over the 20 minutes and you gave me so much material to ask questions about. (laughs) So I'm going to try and keep, I'm going to try and keep it down. First, I really want to know, and you have so much history coming into this conversation, not just with Gen Alpha, but everything you've done. Can you talk a little bit more about the exciting and brilliant moment when an idea comes up? How do you almost have a non-formal agreement with that idea to say, yes, let's move forward with it? Because that's ideally what came with you all at Gen Alpha. You know, um, that that's so interesting because you're right. There's usually a spark um, and ideas happen all around us. But it is the question becomes, when are you going to take something from an idea to you're going to actually execute it and bring it to a result? I know for us, with respect to um, developing Equip 360, just to kind of put it around that, we had a supplier come into our corporation. So when I was working for a manufacturing company, so this would be over 15 years ago, um, a supplier came in and showed us a piece of software where they took 3D drawings and they showed you how you could enable a customer to see the 3D drawing of the piece of equipment they own. So I'll take an example to make it easier for your audience. I have a a lawnmower that I use, a riding lawnmower out uh, on this five and a half acres that I described, right? And over time, that lawnmower needs support and maintenance. It needs oil changes. It needs grease. It needs, uh, sometimes it needs 
needs new blades and so on, right? So over time, that piece of equipment can fail where it's not going to work and somebody's going to have to help me get it back up and running, whether a battery needs to be replaced or whatever it is, or it just needs regular maintenance to keep it operational um, and especially operational at its highest level of performance. So now if you go back to these 15 years, we had this software vendor come in and show us how they could take our 3D drawings and a customer could click within that 3D drawing and on the click, it would show them the part number that that component was. That was the spark for us that when our pieces of equipment left the factory, they left with paper manuals. So we sent our customers either a PDF document or a paper manual, and then they would uh, build their big piece of equipment. We, we developed equipment in mining operations. So they would, they would put that piece of equipment to work and that paper manual that left with it became obsolete very quickly because part numbers change, product upgrades take place. And where we were struggling was getting the updates in the hands of the customers because those paper manuals, you know, over time, because a, a big piece of mining equipment might last 15 years, 20 years. So what was happening is in these paper manuals, they cross off the old part number, write in a new part number. You'd hope that that would transfer to the next maintenance technician. So when we saw that you could click on the, the drawing, you could see the part number. And if we could integrate that to the ERP system, which is the backbone of a manufacturing environment, and it could pull up whether that part was available, so in stock, and what the price was. And if it could do those things, could it add that part to the shopping cart? So now you wouldn't need to update a paper manual anymore. Customers could just come online and identify through a 3D drawing that that what the part the current part is, right there, get price and availability, add it to a shopping cart and place an order. Our aha moment was, oh my gosh, this would change. This was transformed the way customers would buy from us. And we wouldn't need all these people uh, trying to identify part numbers for our customers. The customers could self-service themselves and feel very confident that they're doing it because they could look at the exact machinery that they own. So when we realized this could help us with a big problem, it would satisfy customers it would potentially get, give us greater revenue as an organization. We had a lot of good reason to move from an idea to how can we create this and make it really happen? So I, I think you have to first see a solution and then you have to have your why of would enough people want to use this and it would benefit enough people. And if yes, then let's go build it. Um, right. So right. I think I answered your question there. You did so, I mean, what I loved most about it was really, it's the, a mini how to say yes to an idea. Is it solving a problem? Is it serving the community that you are intending to serve? And mm -hmm. is it, you know, is it, is it a supporting the mission of what you're doing? The flip side of that for my next question is really, 
what's criteria to say no to an idea? Mm-hmm. And I know it's the opposite of kind of what I just said, but also there's a little bit more, you know, because sometimes an idea will serve who we're, it will support who we're serving and it will ignite some ingenuity in our brains. But sometimes we still have to say no. How do you say no to ideas sometimes? You, know, you never know what's going to come out of great, my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great question. I think, you know, sometimes the cost of an idea outweighs the benefit of the idea or a group that you're trying to benefit isn't ready for it yet. So um, maybe the idea is a good one, but not right now because there are, you know, you you could talk about adapt adopters, right? So there's the early adopters of a any new idea, and then there are the laggards, right? So um, sometimes you don't have enough adoption of a first step, but your mind wants to go to that next place, right? Because once, especially in the world of technology, so much is possible. But if there isn't a buyer for everything that's possible, then the cost outweighs the the opportunity. And you really have to determine if you're ready to make that investment. If you know you need so uh, uh, so much adoption ahead of time before there's gonna be enough people that want that next phase. Um, So I know we have to think about it a lot in that way. And are you helping enough people? Sometimes your idea is only solving something for a small portion. And if you're, and and that's not significant enough, you know, and you have to determine what is significance, of course, if you could develop the idea a little further, that it would meet the needs of more, then that would be the better idea to pursue. I think those are some of the criteria that we have to weigh, especially in our world, uh, with respect to technology and the decisions we make you know, moving forward. And I think that could be applied to many things. Completely. Also, what I love it with your talking about how many adopters do we have in it is um, as the leader, sometimes we have to differentiate, is this person really adopting the idea or are they so such an evangelist that they are thinking so big at the last results of the idea. And we have to decipher between, is this really someone who wants to take the first steps or do they just see the big picture? You know, and it's a very uh, unique position to sit in as a leader sometimes. Um, Yes. I told you this goes so fast. Okay, I'm going to jump. I really wanted to ask you about choosing teams, but we're going to have a conversation about that later and possibly back on the podcast. Um, or maybe I'll get you into a live salon because I think this would be a really beneficial public forum. But I want to jump a little bit to scope of work. How do you, as you're leading the team and as the team is deciding the scope of work on a collaboration, how do you really build a fence around it? Because sometimes it's really difficult to figure out what's in that fence that you're going to work on and what's outside because the gray areas. It's so, yeah. How do you... How do you go about deciphering that? You know, we usually, and I've got such a tremendous team. There's such a talented group of people, but we do have to keep going back to what problem are we trying to solve? That is really, really key. And then we develop 
user stories around that. So, okay, what what exactly is the user going to do? So for making a change, um, and most of what we do is in UX, right? So the UI or the user experience. So when the uh, the user comes to the website, this change, what are we going to do? And then what will they do next? And is there anything we don't want them to do? So we, we have to ask the do's and the don'ts so that we narrow for our development team what, in fact, is the change that we're trying to develop into our solution. And I think the user stories of actually walking through, what will they then do next? Where will that data come from? Is there anything special we need to show? Is there a confirmation that needs to take place? Should they not be able to do something? So by doing that user story and, and asking those questions, that's how we narrow the scoping to be very clear and communicate exactly what we want to be built. I will say... <laughs> I've learned is kind of an art, right? Because sometimes you don't know all the questions to ask. And that's why testing is really critical. You need to bring it to life and then show it to people and then have them use it. See if it's intuitive, see if it gets the result that you expected. And sometimes through iterative processes, you do have to go back and make a change because you didn't think of something in that uh, user scenario that actually did come up in testing and then you have to go solve for it. That's how we narrow it, but I will tell you that we don't always have it right the first time. And that's the beautiful thing about agile development and collaboration is you get a chance to get the feedback and that whole feedback loop and make the corrections and, until you get it right. Oh my gosh. I, I got to say, majority of my clients, the biggest conversation we get into is scope of work and going back to really, you know, really ask those questions. So listeners, I really invite you to back up about three minutes and listen to what Chris said again, because that was really, really valuable. And I may even bullet point it into the show notes because it was really, you, Chris, you really asked the questions that every client should be asking as they're developing a new project. Okay, I'm going to ask the second to last question. I'm not even going to get into agile development either uh, because <laughs> that could also be its own show. Um, but I really love, as you were telling the story, you got to the point where it was working and there was there was also almost a stop pause in let's celebrate what we did and now let's evaluate and start a new collaboration. Even though it's still part of the big collaboration, it still has a you know, a different purpose of reiterating something or, I mean, redefining something or um, making something better. So could you talk a little bit about what that finish celebration, evaluation and restart looks like in a company like Gen Alpha or in any of your experience? Well, I will tell you that presentation is like a new collaboration, right? We're starting to work with them. We are defining their scope within our product because our product allows them to do lots of different things, but we have to scope it for them. And then we have to collect their data. And then we have to 
create the integrations and then we have to test their solution and then we have to launch it to their customers. And launch in itself is the end of a collaboration because we've just brought it to life. Now they have a solution live. But like most things in life, that just means that it's entering a next phase, right? So a website in itself or an e-store isn't static forever. Now it moves into its next journey. And that's kind of where, you know, within all of our tools and everything, we even change, um, you know, so I'm going to use some terms here that might not be known to your users, but in the software development world, people will know, but, you know, we use Confluence and we track uh, things in JIRA. And these are, again, software tools, but we have a ticketing system. So through the project launch process, we have certain tickets that start with IS. And then once we've launched, we move away from IS. That, that project is completed. We're launched. And now we're under the maintenance portion of our you know, solution with our customers. And now it's in a whole new ticketing system. It has a whole new goal. And that's to keep, uh, you know, to drive new business for the customer, to make sure that they have adoption of the solution, that there's traffic, that they're selling products online, and then iteratively improve through analytics how the data looks, how many users are using that, and that there's more conversions online. Really, that's kind of how we end one project, celebrate its success, and move into an another project by separating those projects even phasing them potentially with customers because some customers might take a portion of our solution and then add another module of our solution after they've successfully launched one. So that then um, it's like a whole new project and it might even have new players or teammates uh, both at the customer level and ours to make sure that we're successful in that next phase. So it might require different people, different skills, uh, and different strengths to accomplish it. I couldn't have said any of that better. That was phenomenal. You might bring different people on. You might need different strengths. Things are going to change. That's why we assess and evaluate. <laughs> Is there anything that's lingering still in your brain that we talked about that you want to either say again or you want to add on to? Because... It's in this 25 minutes, there's been a lot that has been said that's been super valuable. Um, I can't think of anything lingering. I think that the topic of collaboration is such an interesting one. And it. I think you know, I've always considered myself an introvert through life. I am naturally an introvert, but I find that teamwork is something that I enjoy a lot. You know, I'm, I am a person that likes to bring teams together to accomplish things that probably comes from all the years of playing team sports and, and being both an individual, you know, contributor, but then also uh, using the strengths of the entire team to try to be successful uh, in the game of sports. That's to win, right. To get the most goals or whatever it might be. I love uh, the, the way you can transfer your team skills learned in life into collaboration efforts. And I think that more people that volunteer to be a part of collaboration projects 
are going to be, they're going to have more opportunities and going to feel more rewarded uh, in their career and life because that's where you meet great people. It's where you have an opportunity to accomplish great things. Even if you're naturally introverted like myself, don't back away from the opportunities to be a part of something bigger that requires your strength as that individual contributor, but uh, combining it with a team to to build something special. Those are some of the most uh, rewarding times of my life and certainly uh, are the greatest memories, both in sports and in my career journey. So I would just encourage people to be a part of collaboration effort whenever they can and raise their hand and volunteer and say yes, because uh, you never know what you'll be able to accomplish with with more than one. You heard it here <laughs> from Christina Harrington. <clears throat> where can, I know that the listeners are totally wanting more of you. Where can they all find you? Oh, well, well, you can find us on genalpha.com for, that's our website. Um, or you can look for me on LinkedIn. So Christina Harrington on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a podcast, a broadcast for manufacturers, uh, wink, wink on the broadcast. So uh, I host the show with two other women and we have a lot of fun. And uh, the show is really designed for people that serve the manufacturing community and those that are in the manufacturing community. So if this was an interesting show for you, then you may enjoy that show as well. I highly recommend the podcast. I was going to plug it if you didn't. There will be everything will be linked in the show description stuff. But I do have to say about the podcast, obviously, you know, I'm not focused in manufacturing. But listening to your podcast on two different episodes now, I have learned about how to increase productivity with one of my clients who does that board game that we've talked about. And I was like, oh, my oh, God. Yeah. So everyone can get something out of your <laughs> podcast. I am so grateful. I'm honored that you took time to spend with me today. Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure. I'm honored to be on your show. And thank you for having me as a guest. <laughs> How did you enjoy that? Are you now wanting to dive into manufacturing? Chris makes it desirable. And every time she talks about it, I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. And I can't repeat it enough. Her podcast really has taught me some amazing lessons that I never thought I would learn from a manufacturing podcast. I really suggest you go check it out. This conversation really, I had no idea where we were going to go into it. We don't talk enough about where an idea generates and I love that we got into this. And when do you say yes to an idea and acknowledge the spark or even are vulnerable enough to knowing when the spark happens? And then also the opposite of that is when do you not say yes to an idea? When do you say no to idea? And what criteria do you need to support you saying no to an idea? We really got into the thought process of scope of work and how do you build a fence around it? I remember the first time that I was doing an international project in graduate school and someone had told me build a fence around it and I didn't understand. Christina really shares a lot about how do we build a fence around it and really develop the scope of work while also adding some really great do's and don'ts. I love the part about importance of user stories and at the very end we get into separating the finish of the project, the celebration, and the evaluation. I can't say it enough. 
there has to be a celebration before you evaluate. That break has to happen so you get objective about what the process was, you got really excited about it, and now you can go in and properly evaluate it. Sometimes you want to bring in a third party to do the evaluation. I also love the very end message of don't break away from opportunities of collaboration. It's so beautiful. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute collaborations. We have uh, launched the next Life Cycle of Collaboration workshop series. It starts August 10th, and spots are limited. So if you want to join us, you might be thinking, Greg, I can't do that. I need to plan. But there are some of you, like me, who will jump at the opportunity to go travel on a last-minute trip, especially when there's a deal, and there's a deal here. So let us know. Next week, we have the brilliant and hyper-driven Aurelia Estrada. She is the executive director of Affordable Dental Care in Madison, Wisconsin. And she has a story that you are going to love. We will see you next week, and I can't wait to chat with you on the next 20-minute collaborations. You've been listening to 20-Minute Collaborations with international collaboration coach Greg Potter. If you're interested in working with Greg or finding out how he can help your organization, visit ggpotter.com. You can also follow him on all the social media at ggpotter. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get all of the collaborative ooey-gooeyness that you've been longing for your entire life. This is an Artemis Bow Productions podcast.